All right, so I'm, I'm curious, how many of you have ever been to Yellowstone National Park? Raise your hands, let's see. Oh, wow, like a good number. Okay, I went for the first time a few years ago. It blew my mind. It was absolutely magical, incredible place. But I've learned something recently since then that, that has blown my mind even more, and it has to do with gray wolves. Um, I don't know, you, maybe you've, you've heard about this already, and so this isn't news to you, but I learned about what has happened in Yellowstone since they reintroduced gray wolves to the park about 25 years ago or so. You see, uh, back in the 1920s-ish, all of the gray wolves in Yellowstone had been hunted to extinction. They were just gone. And as a result, ever since then, the last hundred years, the elk population got really out of hand. Like there were just elk everywhere, which doesn't sound like such a bad problem, but the ecosystem was really out of balance. Not only were the elk eating everything, but in years of, of you know, maybe it was a dry year, it didn't produce as much. There were dead elk everywhere. They were dying of starvation. Everything was disrupted. And so this was such a big problem that, that some of the, the people, I don't know who it is that makes a decision like this, but some people who had the ability to do this decided to bring in some gray wolves from Canada and, and reintroduce them into Yellowstone. And it was a bit of an experiment. What was going to happen? Well, here's what happened. Not only did the elk population come under control, but a whole bunch of other stuff started happening in Yellowstone. For one thing, all of the elk and other grazing animals started to avoid all of the river valleys because that was where they were easy pickings. They would, you know, they would steer clear of those spots where the wolves would, would roam. And so all of the stuff that they were eating, the shrubs and the trees and all that stuff, started to grow back in these river valleys. And with trees and shrubs coming back, all of a sudden songbirds started making their home in Yellowstone again who hadn't been there for years. And along with that came beavers. Beavers, who of course love to chew on trees and, and make dams, those, those beavers started making new ecosystems with these little dammed areas and all of that, which brought back all these other creatures like amphibians and reptiles and muskrats. Like who loves muskrats, right? We love muskrats. I don't actually know what a muskrat looks like, but I'm sure you can like look it up. But we love muskrats. Muskrats are great. And there are all kinds of other creatures and, and the craziest thing of all is that the rivers themselves started to actually change because now with all these shrubs and trees on the, on the, the sides of these rivers, the uh, banks were not eroding as quickly. The, the, the rivers were not meandering as, as often and they were starting to get really deep and have deeper pools, which brought back even more creatures that need those ecosystems to thrive. What I'm saying is, it is absolutely mind-boggling how a simple act of rewilding Yellowstone by bringing in gray wolves could have so many carry-on effects and so many different aspects of the ecosystem healing. And what's also crazy is to realize that one thoughtless act of destruction a hundred years ago, getting rid of the gray wolves, could lead to so many negative effects uh, in that same area. It's, it's really amazing to think about. And, and what this does to me is it makes me realize that we, in general, humans, you and me, we don't realize just how much power we have over the natural world. I don't think we realize how, how capable we are of making significant changes, both, both negative and positive, to the environment around us. Uh, it's something that we don't think about, but today I want us to think about. I want to think about not only uh, the fact that we can change our world, but, but why. Why do we have that much power in the first place? That's what we're going to talk about. So, 
Today is week two of Hope Month, and uh, so far I've been really encouraged. The, the number of folks who are like, I've never heard of, uh, you know, none of churches I've been to have ever really talked about this before, and that's been exciting for them to hear, hear us actually getting into Scripture and looking at what God has to say about caring for the planet. So I'm encouraged. I want to keep going. We're going to keep digging in. Uh, just as a recap, we're asking three big questions in this series. The first big question that we're asking is, why should I care? Why should I care at all about the environment, about the planet, about nature, any of that? And the short answer from last week is because God cares. I should care because God cares about his creation. If you want to know more about the rationale behind that, go back and watch last week. But the second question that we're going to ask today is what should I do in response to that? Okay, if I am going to care for creation, what should I do? How should I step into that? And then next week, we're going to wrestle with the question, what if it's not enough? What if the, the, the measly work that I'm able to do doesn't seem to have much of an impact at all? What, what if it's not enough? So those are the three messages. And then at the end of this series, I'm very, very excited because on August 28th and 29th, we are having weekend of service. Now, weekend of service, I hear some cheers. I'm excited too. This is something that we used to do all the time and we're bringing it back where we close down the church for a week, uh, the weekend. We're not gonna have worship services in here. Instead, we are gonna worship by serving and we're gonna go out into our world and literally get our hands dirty this time. And we are gonna go out and we're gonna heal creation together. It's going to be super, super cool. So there are a bunch of projects that you can sign up for right now on our website. And by the way, since last week, there have actually been some new projects added. We already have had hundreds of you sign up, which is awesome. But there's so many different projects that you could be a part of. It's really exciting. And I wanted to, I wanted to explain a couple of those projects. Oh, and by, but before I do that, uh, one reminder, I said this last week, but again, weekend of service, especially with something like creation care, is a great, great opportunity for you to invite somebody who probably wouldn't be caught dead in a church, but might want to go heal the planet. This is a great way for you to engage with your, your friends and neighbors and classmates and say, hey, come along. We're going we're gonna to go pick up trash. We're going to go do this thing or that thing, okay? So I'm encouraging you. Think about who in your life might need an experience like this to realize that Jesus is more than just uh, what they have in mind, okay? Closing that credibility gap. So there's some projects on the, on the website, you'll see, that have clever names like Honeysuckle Hack and, uh, and Tree Tackle and re- Weed Wrangle, which um, what those are, they may not make immediate sense when you see them, but what they are is we're going to go into some, some local parks and here in our, at the north end of our property, and we're going to be removing invasive species, different plants that by their very nature, take over the area. They're not meant to be here, and they actually choke out and starve out all these other plants that are meant to be here, indigenous species. And so by, by hacking those honeysuckles and tackling those trees, we are going to be uh, allowing indigenous species to come back uh, and to thrive again here in central Indiana. So that's what those projects are. Maybe that's something that you want to do. If so, gracechurch.us, you'll see all the info you need to sign up for Weekend of Service. Okay, enough with the the advertisements. Let's get into this. Uh, How are we going to do anything to heal this broken world? That that is the question. What What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond to all of this? If God has designed his creation to thrive, like we talked about last week, then what should we be doing to make sure it stays that way? Well, to answer that, we have, to, we have to ask a pretty big question. 
when we talk about thriving, uh, the thriving of creation, we have to ask a big question, and that's, what did God intend to be the case? What, what, is, what is God's intention for creation? And, and how did things go so terribly wrong that we would have to talk about getting back to that intention? So we're going we're gonna to talk about the origins of everything, and we're going to look at the creation story in Genesis as a starting point. Because in Genesis, what we have are, are these two creation accounts that give us a picture of how God intended things to be. Now, I mentioned there's two accounts. There are, are, there, there are two kind of perspectives on the idea of God as creator. The first account is big picture. We're talking galaxies and the planet itself and elephants and trees. Like, it's all being created. And it's essentially God creating order out of the chaos of a watery abyss. That's the first creation account. The second creation account zooms way in, and we look at how God created order out of a, a dry wasteland. He creates humanity out of the dust, and he, he plants humans in the Garden of Eden and brings life and flourishing and water out of the ground. And So that's what the second creation account is all about. And essentially, these two creation accounts, they both give us a picture of God as a God of order, in a, in a place of chaos. He brings order out of chaos. He brings life out of death. He brings abundance out of scarcity. That's who he is, right? That's, that's who he is, and that's what this creation is. It's, a, it's an overflow of God's intentions and life. And in both cases, uh, in, in that whole creation story, God sees what he is creating, and he says, this is good. This is very good. He defines what is good as he creates, okay? So, into this abundant paradise, as I mentioned, God places humans. It says in Genesis 1, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Okay, so so it says that God made us in his image. Now, there are a lot of really deep and profound ideas of, of how this works, and, and many of them, I'm sure, are a part of what it means to be the image of God, but there's a really significant aspect that, that I don't know that we always talk about. Being an image uh, of God means, means that we are his representatives on the earth. We are meant to reflect his purposes, his intentions here. So, if you're the creation and you look at humans, what you should be seeing is God's intentions coming to fruition. You should see as an image of him uh, what God wants in the world, which is why God tells the humans to fill the earth and govern it, to govern it, to, to reign over the animals. Because as, as God's images, we are here to rule on his behalf. God gave us that responsibility. It's like it's like we are the princes and princesses of creation. He's the king, and we are the princes, princes and princesses. Or, or to put it another way, it's almost like we are the eldest siblings of all created things. And so we have a responsibility to care for and look after our family, the, the, the family of, of, of life. The second creation account, it says something very similar to this. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to what? To tend and watch over it to tend and watch over it. Now, in other words, from the very beginning, from the very moment that humanity was on the scene, we've had a job to do, a job to do, which is to carry on God's creative intentions, to be his images, his representatives. 
We're here to tend and watch over the garden of life and all that lives inside. Just like we saw God doing last week in Psalm 104, right? Psalm 104, God is nurturing life and caring for creatures and planting trees. That's what we are here to do. Put simply, put simply, humans are the stewards of the earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and we are here to steward it and caretake it for him. And in return, in return for this stewarding work, the earth is meant to be bountiful for us. You look at, this, the, you look at Adam's experience, Adam and Eve's experience in, in Eden, and we're talking fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. Like everywhere they look, there's just food just coming out of the ground and coming off of trees. There's just abundance and life. Everywhere you look in the Garden of Eden, there is plenty. There's plenty. There's abundance. And there's peace between all the creatures. Uh, you, Adam's first job, if you remember, is to give these animals, to give all animals their names. Now, that doesn't probably speak to us as much in the modern world because names to us were like, hey, I'm Steve, I'm Janet, like whatever. We don't, names are just what we're given. But in the ancient world, names were a significant part of your identity. It was a significant part of your identity of who you were. And so this is why we talk about, you know, lifting up the name of Jesus. We're not just saying like Jesus, the name. We're talking about his, who he is, his identity. That's what we are elevating when we worship. And so Adam has a really big responsibility to give identities and names to all the animals. Now, when I picture this, I, 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 my own imagination runs wild. Genesis is very sparse with the details, so I kind of have to fill them in with my own weird imagination. So I picture, I picture this scene of all the animals gathering around, and Adam has this mystical moment of naming each one of them and giving them their identity, like, like you, you, my friend, are swan. And everyone's like, whoa, wow, great name. You, you, you're panther. Oh, yes, that's okay. And you, I guess naked mole rat. I don't know. Like, I don't know what else to call you, but that's probably it. And everyone's like, okay, well. Anyway, that's what I picture. But you, you, you can imagine this scene, right? Fill it in with however you imagine it. That's how I imagine it. This scene, it's like Narnia. Like, it, it, it's beautiful. It's peaceful. It's, it's, it's incredible. Like we talked about last week, God is actively sustaining and nurturing life while we as stewards of creation, we are supposed to do the same thing. We are here to, to caretake and rule over all life. Now that's crazy. To me, that is crazy. A, because obviously we haven't done an amazing job of it, but B, it's crazy because who are we? We're just humans. Like God is the actual creator. What's he doing giving us that responsibility? And I'm not the only one to ask that question. The writer of Psalm 8 was asking the same question. Listen to this. He says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you, that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and you crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and everything that swims in the ocean currents. It's mind-boggling. We were created to be the stewards of creation, the caretakers of all living things. You and I, were shepherds, we are gardeners, we are woven into a harmonious relationship with the natural world and we're flourishing as a result. That was the intention. So how did it all go so wrong? Why, why is creation groaning, as it says in Romans 8, and we talked about last week? Why is it groaning? Well, to understand that, we really got to go back to this, 
creation story, the story in Genesis, and, and look at how things fell apart in Eden. Because they did. They fell apart right then in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, the man, whose name is Adam or Adam, which literally means human, so the man's name is human, and, and the, the woman, whose name is life bringer, that's, that's Eve, the two of them, they make a choice. A human and life bringer make a choice, and it's not a good one. They are deceived by a crafty serpent. Now, if you look at the rest of Scripture, you see that, that, that this serpent, there's the senses that maybe this is Satan, this is the evil one trying to deceive. But if you just look at the Genesis story, it's just a serpent, just a, a snake. And in this story, there's a significant problem with them listening to what this snake has to say. Because what are humans supposed to do with the animals? We're supposed to rule over them, right? We're supposed to have authority over them, and yet in this moment, they are allowing a serpent, an animal, a created being, to have authority over them. They listen to what he says, and what he says is you should go and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, which I've talked about before, but, but simply, put simply, they are going to eat from this tree, which is going to mean that they will define what is good and bad in the world. And up to this point, the only person who has made choices of what is good and what is bad is God himself, the creator. He creates life. He says it is good. He creates humans. He says this is very good. He says it is not good for man to be alone. So it's him. He's making all of these decisions. But Adam and Eve choosing to eat from this tree, it's as if they are saying, no, we are going to decide what's good. We are going to decide what's bad for this world. They make a choice. And as a result, they bring about the curse the curse. Whenever I write that, I always put C, big C, the curse, because this is, this curse is, is the consequence of humanity trying to rule in our own way instead of as God. It's stepping away from, from being image bearers into trying to be our own masters and trying to be the rulers of our own world. And what that curse does is it separates us from God. Now, yes, that means the relationship between humans and God is severed. But more than that, it also means separation from God's intentions. He has a desire for this world, and we are walking away from that desire. And what are the outcomes of that? There's pain, there's injustice, there's hatred, there's isolation between people. Those are the, the broken places of our world that come about because of the curse. It's the brokenness of our world. But here's what I don't want you to miss. This brokenness is not just uh, between humans and between humans and God. This brokenness includes our relationship with the earth itself. God explains the curse this way to Adam. He says, look, the ground is cursed because of you. Now, all your life, you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Hmm. So the ground is cursed because of you. Now in Hebrew, this is actually a really interesting play on words, because in Hebrew, the, the word for ground is adama, and the word for human or man is adam. Adam, like I said. So Adam is made out of the Adama. God breathes life into the dust to form Adam. He, he, Adam and Adama are not dis indistinguishable things. They are part and parcel with one another. Humanity was born out of creation, out of the ground. But now, starting in Genesis 3, we are at war with it, aren't we? 
Adam and Adama are in conflict. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it, God says. And the ground is now fighting back with thorns and thistles. It's, it's putting up a fight. This is war, war between Adam and Adama. Where once there was life and abundance, now there's conflict and desolation. Where once there was order, now there's chaos. Where once there was harmony between the creatures, now there's pain and there's death. Just a few chapters later, when God is is telling Noah uh, what's going to happen now that he's leaving the ark after the flood, God tells him, look, go be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth just like Adam and Eve. But then he says this, and all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish of the sea will look on you with fear and terror. Fear and terror. Things have broken down right? Things have broken. The gates of Eden are closed to humanity, and now we're living in the wasteland outside of it. It's not hard for us to see that breakdown today. Again, look at the news. Look at what's going on in our world. Think about the wolves that were hunted to extinction in Yellowstone. Like, we didn't want them to be around because they were, they were sometimes hunting some of our cattle, and so we got rid of them all, and it led to, like, ecosystem collapse, I mean, we, we led to rivers eroding their banks and elks starving to death, right? This is just, it's not how it was meant to be. It's not the abundance that God intended. And that's just one story. That's just one story. You, you look broadly, you've got species extinction and pollution and climate change and the thoughtless exploitation of natural resources and the senseless suffering of countless of God's creatures. Humans were meant to be the benevolent rulers of the earth. We were meant to rule with with goodness and God's intentions, but what have we become? We've become despots. We're despots. We've spread the curse. This wasn't just Adam and Eve. This is in our lives too, even today. The curse spreads, and and in return, our own abundance is threatened. The abundance that God wanted us to have, now we have food scarcity and poverty and disease. This is the effect of the curse. In short, we have squandered what we were meant to steward. Squandered what we were meant to steward. So, well, that's terrible. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty awful. But I'm not going to leave you down in the dumps for long because there is very good news. I have good news for you. And the good news is this. Our God was not content to let human sin and brokenness win the day. Even in that moment where, where the curse was unleashed on creation, God began a rescue mission, a rescue mission to bring us back to the Garden of Eden. This is the storyline that we see lived out throughout the rest of Scripture. Back to life, back to blessing, that's what God intends. And that mission, it, that rescue mission, it culminates in Jesus Christ himself, who, remember, he took the curse on himself, the big C curse on himself on the cross, and he took it down into the grave. And he rose again to declare that the days of blessing are back. The days of God's favor, the days of of life and abundance are here once again. Jesus opened the gates of Eden back up. And now we, humanity, can enter the garden again. 
Does this mean a healed relationship between humans and and our creator? Of course it does. First and foremost, that's what it means. Does it mean a, a healed relationship between humans and one another? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what the church is. We are, we are a new kind of community, spiritual family where these broken relationships are healed. But it also means a healed relationship between humanity and creation itself. Adam and Adama are reconciled in Christ. They're reconciled. And this wasn't just a new idea when Jesus came on the scene. The Old Testament prophets, they saw this is where things were going. Hundreds of years before Jesus was on the scene, they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit and they got a glimpse of this new creation that was coming. And they understood this was gonna be not just healing for humanity, not just uh, uh, flourishing and life for people, but flourishing and life for the earth itself. They're not indistinguishable. Listen to this in Isaiah 35. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. This is new creation. This is a return to Eden. This is order out of chaos again. Not just for humanity again, but for all created things. Elsewhere in Isaiah says this, in that day, In the day of the Lord, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. Guys, we're back to to Eden. We're back to the naming of the animals and peace. Think about that. No more fear and terror among our fellow creatures. That's where things are headed. The prophets understood this. I talked last week about how God cares for his creation. And all of what we just read, all of this is what that looks like. It looks like like gently restoring the things that we've broken. It looks like breathing life into the things that we've killed, spreading abundance where we have spread scarcity. God is healing this creation. And I don't think we've deserved this. I don't think we, we should even have this responsibility, but God continues to want us to join him in that work. He wants us to be stewards of his creation again. He wants us to do what he does in this world, to care about what he cares about. We are still invited to be stewards of God's creation. The invitation is still there. Jesus ended the curse on that cross. Adam and Adama were reconciled in him. And now creation can heal Last week we asked, why should I care? Why should I care? And the question for today is, what should I do? What should I do? The answer, put simply, is I think we should be stewards again. We should learn how to steward creation, how to to get back to our original vocation as gardeners and, and shepherds and caretakers of this beautiful world that God has given us. We need to learn how to be stewards. Now, how do we do that? 
How do we do that? I will admit, I will be the first one to admit that in our modern world, we are very, very far disconnected from, I think, the, the agrarian society that the Bible was first received in, okay? So we've got a long way before we think about ourselves in terms of shepherding and, and gardening and things like that, but there is, there are things that we can do right now. There are ways that we can think that will change our world even now. So let me give you some, some starting points, some basic, simple ideas of how we can learn to care for our creation, the creation that God has, has given us. The first idea is really simple. Pay attention. Pay attention. As I said, so much of our life is, is disconnected. In this modern world, we're disconnected from, from creation. Our rooms are climate controlled and our food is wrapped in plastic hundreds of miles away from where it was, where it was made, where it was grown. And the, the consequences of our actions are, we're, we're, they're hidden from us. Like you buy a $10 t-shirt and you never know. You have no clue that, I don't know, chemicals are being dumped in a river in Bangladesh to make it. Uh, you, you don't see, you know, the, you, got, you buy a banana at the store and you don't see the pile of bananas that got thrown away because they, they weren't purchased in time or, or whatever. Where does our meat come from? I don't know. How much CO2 was produced to make the, the phone that I've got? Uh, I don't know. Where does our garbage end up? I don't know, right? We just don't see it. Now, again, I'm not saying any of this to make you feel guilty. That's not the point. We're not trying to spread guilt here. Our entire culture and system is designed so that we don't see these things. So you shouldn't feel guilty about it. That's just the reality of living in this modern suburban world. All I'm asking can we learn how to pay attention, to think twice, to, to, to pay attention before we put our, our you know, lunch in our, in our mouth? Can we think for a second about how it came to be on our plate? Can we pay attention to see, to see the creation around us in a new way? Again, those wolves in Yellowstone, we got rid of them. It was, it was short-sighted to get rid of those wolves. We didn't, we didn't see what we were doing. We didn't understand the consequences of our actions. But now, now that we've learned what this rewilding can do, well, we, we see the effects of it. We're paying attention to it. What if we did that in every aspect of our lives? What if we learned to see how Adam and Adama can be reconciled, can be connected? Let's learn how to pay attention to the food we eat, to, the, to where our stuff comes from to the air we breathe, to the, to the energy that we use. Let's be like the writer of Psalm 104. Again, that, that psalm we talked about last week, everywhere he went, he's paying attention to where God is moving and how God is caring for creation and where God's spirit is breathing and bringing life. When we do that, when we have eyes to see God's creation for what, it's really, what it really is, not only are we gonna see God healing it, and see how he's in the business of healing it, but we may, we just may find ways for us to join him in that healing work. We've got to start by paying attention, paying attention. So that's the first. The second idea is this. Steward your patch of Eden. It can be so overwhelming, so overwhelming to, to, to you see everything going on with the, with the planet. Maybe you do pay attention for a second and you realize, oh no, <laughs> oh no, things are actually pretty rough. Uh, you, you look at that and you think, what am I going to possibly do? I can't control what other countries or multinational corporations are doing. Like, how am I supposed to respond to this? It's tempting to just give up. Because again, what, what could I possibly do? Now, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot more about this, this 
issue, this struggle next week about what could I possibly do, but I want you to understand this right now. I talked about God inviting us to heal creation. God is not inviting you to heal the world. He's inviting you to heal your world. Your world. Every one of us, and by the way, he's given you his Holy Spirit to make this possible. It's not under your own power. You are the hands and the feet of Jesus, but he's the one doing the work. You are simply an instrument to be used for that purpose. We are the images of God. We are his representatives. He will empower us to do the work. But you don't have to heal at all. Your job is to heal what's in front of you, what is in your sphere of influence. We all have a sphere of influence, Every one of us, you you know, whether you live on a hundred acres or or a one-bedroom apartment, whether you have a huge family or you live alone, whether you have a herd of cattle or a chihuahua, you have a sphere of influence and it touches the natural world. You have a patch of creation to steward. You have a neighborhood, you have a, a town or a city, you have a county. Together as a church, we have about 48 acres here at 146th Street. This is our patch of creation to steward together. So you have a a sphere of influence. My question is, how are you making your sphere of influence a little bit more like Eden, a little bit more like God intended this world to be? How are you nurturing life? How are you pushing back on the curse with the power of Jesus and, and helping your patch of creation flourish? How are you caring for the creatures around you, wild and domestic? How are you becoming a source of life, not of desolation? Like I said last week, I'm not advocating for a a specific lifestyle. I'm not telling you like like metal straws are the answer, right? I'm not trying to tell you all that. What I'm trying to say is that we can change our mentality, our mentality. And when we do, we may just experience God healing this creation through us because God has made you a steward, a steward of his world, a a ruler over the patch of Eden that he has given you. Are you going to be a benevolent ruler? So pay attention. Steward your patch of Eden. And finally, follow your passion. Follow your passion. One of the most beautiful aspects of what God has done in, in, in designing humanity the way he did is that, is that he didn't make any two of us the same. Every one of us is unique in our skills and our gifts and our passions and dreams. And it is only in community when each one of us is exploring those passions and dreams that we can fully represent God's intentions for, for the world. Now, this is true about the six broken places in general. We are all wired to care about different ones. Some of us are passionate about injustice and others care deeply about separation from God and, and all of that. So, so we're, all, we're all different, but it's also true when it comes to being stewards and caring for creation. Some of us are passionate about biodiversity and some are wild about animals and, and some of us have a green thumb. Others definitely don't, right? We all have different passions. It's when we step into these passions and others around us are stepping into their passions that, that, that our community can bring about actual change. Like, just think about this. If, if every one of us is beginning to influence one another and lead in our, in our passions and actually doing the work that brings healing, think about how much that would change if we were looking left and right and seeing others stepping into the healing work of stewarding this creation. And imagine if other churches began to do the same thing. We've got billions of Christians in the world. If the church started to lead the way in caring for our creator's creation, 
This world actually could change, but it starts with you and your patch of Eden. It starts with what God has put in front of you. Follow your passion to heal the world around you. So what is your passion? Is it um, sustainability? Sustainability would, you know, reducing your footprint on the earth and recycling or decreasing waste or, or living simply. Is that your passion? Live into it. Is it organic farming? Now, by the way, when I say organic farming, I want to be clear. I don't, I'm not talking about like federal regulations and certifications and all, all that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just working with the earth and not against it to bring about your food. Is that your passion? To, to, to grow things. Maybe it's biodiversity, protecting natural habitats, helping, helping pollinators and, and helping indigenous species flourish. Maybe you, you love hacking honeysuckles because you want to make sure that indigenous plants are coming back in Indiana. Is that your passion? Maybe it's animal welfare. Are you passionate about working to make sure that God's creatures are cared for and dignified? Or is it clean energy? Maybe it's leading the way and finding renewable sources of energy to fight against climate change. Again, these are all important. Every one of us, we need to pay attention to all of them in our lives, bring them to bear in our patch of Eden, but there is a passion that God has given you, and he has wired you in a specific way as a steward. Not everybody's a gardener. Not everybody's a shepherd in Eden. We have roles to play. So what is your role? What is your passion? Because look, I need you. We need you to step into it. Grace Church needs you to lead us and influence us if we want this world to change. Because my passion is not going to be your passion. But you got to step into it. If we did this, if we together in Jesus' name, if we stepped into our world as a force of healing, as stewards again of our creation, of God's creation, I believe, I believe that this world we'll start to look a little bit more like it was intended to be. Now, I want to be practical with you. I want to tell you about how we as a church are going to be talking about creation care moving forward and and what it is that we're going to be doing. And to do that, I want to tell you about a a ministry or a a, a sort of a part of Grace Church that we are especially Resurrecting. There's a, a ministry that has been around for quite a few years called Project Eden. Uh, Project Eden, I'm going to use a very intentional pun here, has been laying fallow for a few years, and now we are, we are bringing it back to life. Project Eden uh, started as a way for, for grace people to care for a planet. The, the whole reason we have our, our indigenous wildflower meadow in the north lot and our, our big garden out there, which we'll, you'll hear about more in a second. The whole reason we have that is because of Project Eden. But now we are going to approach Project Eden in a new way. We are going to have five areas, and I mentioned all five of them just a moment ago, represented by an individual leader, a, a grace volunteer who is very passionate about that area. And these leaders are going to help form a, a, a creation care council at Grace. Now, this council is going to help to lead us and make decisions and, and work together in, in consensus to help us figure out how we're going to lead in, in creation care moving forward. Uh, they're going to come up with volunteer opportunities and, uh, and ways to learn more and activities and all of that. And so I want you to meet this creation care council that makes up Project Eden, and you're going to hear a lot more about them and from them in the days ahead. So guys, come on up here. If you're here, please come on up. Um, Hannah, you want to grab that mic right there? Thank you. 
So this is the, the Project Eden team, and we're missing one, Cheryl, who you'll hear from in a second. She is, is away right now, but I'd love to introduce you guys to the congregation. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're passionate about? Deb, why don't you go first? Hi, I'm Deb Bergman, and I work with the Organic Garden in the back. And if you just go straight in the entrance and just keep going, you'll, there's a shelter house. You can have a picnic back there. Um, there's a, a large garden and we've been um, gardening that. It started in 2013, and it's been going, you know, bit by bit. Uh, last year, we were able to bring in 125 crates of food for the um, care center, fresh produce, no chemicals, and we hope to top that this year. That's awesome. Um, I'm passionate about just God's beauty and in the flowers and the nature and um, the design of God in all these vegetables that he provided, and just his provision for us. And to be able to, to work in that and provide fresh produce for a care center. Also, there's individual plots back there um, that we share with the community. So I'm just passionate about bringing that kind of food to the care center. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So Lauren, you are passionate about biodiversity. Tell us more. Yeah, so that story about Yellowstone is like my bread and butter. Literally, I was a wildlife biologist. Um, I've always had a connection with nature. My parents are here. They can verify that, like, as a kid, I was, like, digging in the mud for turtles and tadpoles, and um, that grew into, you know, a career in the sciences. And that's where I learned that biodiversity is one of the best ways to measure the health of an ecosystem. So if you like clean air, mountain vistas, dense forests, all of that, that all kind of ties back into biodiversity, um, as well as food, flowers, medicine, derivatives of biodiversity. So that's really important to me and to all of you, whether you recognize it or not. (laughs) That's awesome. Hannah? Um, Hi, I'm Hannah. And um, a few years ago, I started doing what Barry mentioned earlier, which is paying attention to... Um, the ways that I make decisions about how I spend my money and how I use the things that I already have in my home affect the world around me. Um, When the broken places were first introduced to me, I was like, injustice, hatred, those are definitely my ones. Um, But I've come to realize that caring for creation is something that affects all the other broken places. And sustainability is a way that anyone, regardless of age or income, or ability can get involved in to help love the creation and the people around us. That's awesome. Thank you, Hannah. And Will? My, uh, my name is Will Ditzler, and I, I was involved with Project Eden back in the very beginning, uh, the gardens, and encourage you to go look at what we've put. You can see around the, the pond up front, uh, and then in the back, there's a lot of native habitats. So take a hike and check it out. Some people did after the last service. Um, the area I'm in charge of is clean energy, which is something I'm also passionate about. Uh, the cost of solar and renewables continues to come down to where it's going to be a big part of our future. And so we'd like to see how we can learn more about that incorporate it at Grace. And I just want to say thank you to Barry and the team for addressing this broken place. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're missing one of our team members. Thank you, guys. Uh, we were missing one team member, Cheryl Yoder, who is, is passionate about animals, and so you're going to hear from her right now. Hi, I'm Cheryl, and I've had a lifelong passion for animals. Well, all creatures, really. Do you love animals? Is that your passion, too? Do you long for a kinder, more loving world for them? 
If you do, then join me as we advocate, educate, and actively work to protect all God's creatures. So, yeah, thanks, Cheryl. <laughs> when I tell you that she was bummed to be here, I get, I, or to not be able to make it this weekend, I can't even tell you how bummed she was. She was devastated, but um, I'm glad we had a chance to be able to hear from her at least a little bit. These guys are going to be around, and if you're here in the room, you can go talk to them after service, but, but they're going to be leading projects for weekend of service, and we're going to be hearing from them more in the days ahead. And I'm excited about, about uh, giving Grace people the opportunity to, to lead the way in how we as a church are going to respond. So you're going to hear more from them. Uh, get involved, and if you want to learn more about any of those areas, come talk to them. I know as a passionate person myself, they will be very happy to talk with you about the things that they've learned and grown in. So please, please do reach out to them, Uh, especially even if you're online, feel free to to reach out to them as well. Or email me if you don't know how to reach out to them, and I'll get you connected. Okay. I want to just reiterate one more time that all of this stuff that we're talking about, caring for creation, all of it comes back to the fact that we serve the Creator Himself. Our God is the one who put us here, who sent his son to redeem it all, to reconcile all the brokenness of our world. That's what this is really about. At the end of the day, we serve a God who loves us absolutely and longs for us to return to the garden of his presence. And so in a moment, we're gonna hear a song that just focuses us in on the person of Christ and how Jesus is the one worthy of all of our praise. So would you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful creation. Thank you for the fact that we get to flourish in this world that you have made. And thank you, even though I don't understand it, thank you for giving us the responsibility of helping to steward it. I don't know that we've always earned it, But Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity to step into it and to learn how to be the the princes and princesses of creation on your behalf. And Father, I pray that as we continue to learn how to respond as a church, as we we work hard to to pay attention to, to what is going on in our patch of Eden, I pray, Father, that you would ignite in us with your Holy Spirit a passion for your purposes and your intentions coming to fruition in our world. And Father, would we keep our eyes ultimately fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and the one who showed us what true healing can be. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.